This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So we are in the middle of chapter 52 it's explaining the idea of the Shekhinah that just like in a human being, in order for the soul to give life to a human being, the soul, it's an essence of life which first manifests itself in the brain. The brain senses this whole, this dynamic energy, vibrant energy. And that's too intense. Because it's all the energy concentrated together before it's differentiated into individual organs. So all that energy, the ability to think, and the ability to comprehend, the ability to feel, the ability to see, it's all part of one. It's one dynamic whole entity. It's all interrelated, interconnected. So that whole energy, that's what the brain senses. The brain has the ability to sense the whole, the bigger picture. Each organ senses each individual energy absorbs in its, each, its individual energy but the brain has the ability to sense the whole and from there the energy is drawn to each individual organ what each individual organ could absorb the brain is able to absorb the higher faculties of the soul the ability to comprehend the heart the abilities of emotion the ability of the soul to relate to the world, the emotions that characterize the soul, you love, you're attracted to, you're repulsed, you hate, you run away from. So, so too, from this analogy we can understand Hashem. We can extrapolate that the same is true with Hashem, with the macrocosm. Hashem is the soul of the world. So first you have the essence of Hashem. The essence of Hashem is equal. It's everywhere. The highest world, the highest realms can grasp the essence of Hashem. It eludes the highest realms. And he can be found even in the lowest realms equally. There's no difference. There's no higher, there's no lower. Hashem is everywhere. That's the essence of Hashem. It's like the essence of the soul is found equally in every part of the body. On the other hand, you have the individual organs. You have the individual energy with which Hashem creates and animates and sustains each individual entity and being has its own unique energy. But then you have the intermediary between the essence of the soul, the being of the soul, and the way the soul gives life, individual life, differentiated life to each individual organ. And the intermediary is this concentrated energy which is manifest in the brain. In addition to the brain being one of the organs, the highest organ, receiving the highest faculties of the soul, the ability to comprehend, the brain is also the command and control center of the whole body because the brain senses the whole. The brain has the ability to see the bigger picture. This is what we call the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is when Hashem manifests Himself. But this is the part of the energy that will eventually become differentiated and animate each individual entity. But the Shekhinah itself is too powerful. Even though from the Shekhinah, eventually from the Shekhinah, the energy is drawn from the Shekhinah to create all the beings and the souls and the angels and everything that exists. And each one of them perceives its own particular energy. But the Shekhinah itself is too powerful. Just like the concentrated energy in the mind, the brain, it's too powerful, it's too intense. It's all of the energies together, all of the faculties concentrated together. 
Only the brain could receive it. The brain has that ability to see the whole, to sense the whole. The heart doesn't have that ability. The other organs don't have that ability. And then from there, each organ draws each its specific energy. But it can't receive this energy directly because it's too powerful. Just like the ocean. Imagine the ocean came roaring through your sink. <laughs> to get the drop of water, you have, to, you have to limit it, and you have to concentrate it. It's too powerful, you just overwhelm the vessel, the vehicle, the pipes. It's just too powerful, it's too much, too intense. So first it has to come into the... First it has to be revealed and manifest in a more general way. That's the beginning of the manifestation. The beginning of the revelation. In relationship to the soul itself, the soul begins to reveal itself and manifest itself in the mind, in the brain. That's where it first reveals all of its concentrated energy and life force. And then from there, each individual organ draws each specific faculty and ability and energy. So too, Hashem. First you have this general revelation. And Hashem reveals Himself in the revealed way. But even this revelation is too powerful, it's too intense. It's what we call the Shekhinah. But if the Shekhinah would manifest itself overtly and directly, we would be overwhelmed. We couldn't exist. We would cease to exist. We would be swallowed up in our source. You wouldn't sense ourselves as being separate, as being apart, as being individualized. So how do you maintain each individual entity? So it's only a ray of the Shekhinah. So the Shekhinah itself is a ray of Hashem. Because the essence of Hashem completely transcends the Shekhinah. Just like the essence of the soul is not that the soul gives life and the soul has all these faculties and energies. That's not what the soul... The essence of the soul is above that. So the part of the soul where all of the life force is concentrated is that alone is like a ray of the soul. It's not the essence of the soul. And even that's too intense. So you have to have a ray from that in order to be drawn down like a light. The light has to leave the sun. In order for the light to illuminate, the light has to leave the sun. Because when the light is in the sun, the light is completely nullified, completely swallowed up in the sun. You don't even see it. You don't even know it's there. It doesn't even exist. It's there, but you don't even notice that it exists. It's only when the light leaves the sun that the light, you can benefit from the light. And now the light is an entity. So too, the Shekhinah itself would not allow for anything to exist outside the Shekhinah. It would be so overwhelmed. The energy is so intense. It's only when the light leaves the Shekhinah, like a light from the sun, when the light leaves the sun, it's only outside of the sun a ray, a glimmer from the sun that enables us to feel our independent existence, that enables us to exist within our boundaries, within our frame, frame of reference, within our framework. Every individual organ, every individual entity, every individual creature according to its, according to its, to its nature. So this allows every individual entity to sense itself and to, be, to, to come into creation. So the Shekhinah itself is too powerful. It's only a light from the Shekhinah that allows us to receive this life sustenance. All of them, all the worlds, creatures, and souls being derived only from the extension of the vitality and light which expands and streams forth from this source which is called Shekhinah in a manner resembling the radiation of light from the sun. This radiation being but a ray from its source. But as for the Shekhinah itself, namely the origin and core of the manifestation whereby the blessed Ein Sof illumines the world in a revealed form and which is the source of all streams of vitality in the world. Their entire vitality being no more than the light which is diffused from it like the light radiated from the sun. Concerning the Shekhinah itself, the source of all vitality for the world, the worlds cannot endure or receive the light of this Shekhinah 
that it might actually dwell and enclose itself in them without a garment to screen and conceal its light from them so that they may not become entirely nullified and lose their identity within their source. Just as the light of the sun is nullified in its source, namely in the sun itself, where this light cannot be seen, but only the integral mass of the sun itself. The Shekhinah itself, in comparison to its source, to Hashem, is like the light of the sun. Because the Shekhinah is like the lowest level within Hashem. It's like the most external level within Hashem. It's like the light, which is completely nullified within its source. And it doesn't even exist. You can't even find it. It's completely external to Hashem. So the Shekhinah, the part of Hashem that's there, that gives light, that gives life, that creates, that sustains, that interacts with outside, that creates the world outside of Hashem, so to speak, that senses itself as being outside of Hashem, that, that revelation to Hashem is like a light of the sun in comparison to the sun. But even that revelation is like the sun itself in comparison to the life force and life energy that flows from it to each individual created being an entity. Because had the Shekhinah, had each created, if each created being would receive its life force directly from the Shekhinah, it would be overwhelmed, it would be completely nullified. It would become swallowed up in its source and all it would sense was this great divine light, this great divine energy, and it cannot, it cannot feel itself as a separate entity. The Shekhinah is God's manifestation. It's God's concentration of life and energy and all of the life and all of the, ent- all of the life force of this individual world is all concentrated together. So Hashem is revealing within Himself His ability to give life, to create, to sustain. So all of that, that's very powerful. It's too intense. So even that, so in other words, the whole world, the energy that we do receive, that we do absorb, that we internalize, is like a glimmer of a glimmer, a ray of a ray. As we say in the prayers, God's name is too great for us, is above us, is too high for us to receive from. A name is something external, is something totally superficial. So the Shekhinah is like God's name. In comparison to God, it's completely external and superficial. Just like the analogy to the soul. The essence of the soul is not about giving light, life. The soul exists before the body. The soul continues to exist after the body dies. The soul is, is a, it's a being. It's beyond. It's not about life. That part of the soul that gives life is the most external, superficial part of the soul. That's not what the soul is about, to give life. It's not what the soul is here to do, to give life. It's almost automatic. When the body come, makes contact with the soul, the body comes alive. It's not that the soul, that's the essence, that captures the essence of the soul, that engages the essence of the soul. That's what a soul is all about. The soul is... Totally beyond. So it's a name. It's external. The interface, the interaction, the body and the soul, it's, it's the most external part of the soul. And this is an analogy to Hashem, that the, the life force with which Hashem creates the world and sustains the world and creates all of existence is God's name. What's a name in relationship to a person? It's external, it's superficial. You need a name. Does a name add anything to you? And if you go through your whole life without a name, are you missing anything? It doesn't add, doesn't subtract. A name is a handle, it's a label. It's a convenient label and a handle. But it's, it's external. It's not, it's not part of you. So Hashem's name, the whole life force, which gives life and vitality to all of creation, to Hashem, it's like His name. It's the most external, superficial part. And there are different names where we call it. We call it a name, or we call it God's speech. Because speech is also external, superficial. You don't need speech. If you're Robinson Crusoe, you have no one to talk to. <laughs> you don't need speech. Speech is to someone else, someone outside of you. For yourself, you don't need speech. It doesn't add anything, it doesn't take away from you. It's the most external part of the person. You speak. Or we call it a light. A light in relationship to the sun. To the sun, light is completely external, completely superficial. doesn't add anything to the sun. means nothing to the sun. Even though it comes from the sun, everything it has is from the sun. 
you can't have or you don't you can't give or you don't have. Obviously, the sun has light, but it doesn't mean anything. So all of these and a king, or it's called a king, malchus, kingship, a king also, a king is something completely external to the king. Because who who makes you king? Where do you find kingship? You don't find kingship in yourself. You can't be king over yourself. If you're a loner, you can't be king over yourself. You need someone outside of you to make you king. So it's not really part of you. All, everything else within you is part of you. Not only your mind, your intellect. You can sit and think alone while you're alone. But even emotions... Even though emotions characterize your relationship to those outside of you, you hate them, you love them, but it characterizes you. It's your character. You're a loving person or you're a hateful person. It's your characterization. It's internal. It's internal how you relate to those outside of you, but it's you. Kingship doesn't add anything to the person. Kingship has nothing to do with the person. It's totally, completely created by those outside of you. Those outside of you create you, make you king. Something completely external to the person. If a person is king or not king, does it add anything to you? Does it, does it, does it, does it, is it part of you? So all of these are interchangeable. You say God's name. You say God's kingdom, kingship. The world is created with God's name. The world is created through God's kingship. The world is created through God's speech. The world is created through God's light, energy. It's all saying the same thing in different words. That the whole of creation is external to Hashem. It's completely superficial and external to Hashem. Like the light of the sun in relationship to the sun. It means nothing, doesn't add anything. It's completely superficial. But then we say in the prayer, King David says in the Psalms, Even God's name is Nizgav. It's too high. We can't receive the energy directly from God's name. The Shechina, that's another name. It's all the same, interchangeable. The Shechina refers to Malchus, God's kingship. That's God's revelation, God's speech. A king rules through speaking, through communication. That's what communication is. Communicate to those outside of you. So even God's communication, even God's kingship, God's light, God's name, the Shechina, which is God's revelation, where all of the, is too great for us. Nizgav is too high, because it's all the energy concentrated together. Just like in the human soul. When the first revelation and manifestation of the soul is in the brain, where the brain senses the whole, where all of the faculties and all of the abilities are all concentrated together. It's too intense, it's too powerful. The individual organs cannot receive the light directly from the soul. First it has to reside in the brain. And from there, each individual organ receives a limited energy customized to its ability. So we say, God's name is, is above. Only a, a, a ray, a shine, a ray. So the whole of creation, the energy that's within us is a glimmer of a ray. But in comparison to the glimmer, the ray is like a sun. Because this, this glimmer from the ray, the glimmer, the way the glimmer is in the ray, it's too intense, it's too powerful, it's completely nullified. So if this revealed energy, if God's shechina, if God's manifestation and presence were felt, it would all be nullified. The angels would be nullified, all of existence would be nullified. So it's only when the light leaves the sun, and how does the, when the light is covered up, when the sun is covered up, as you just read, it needs, in addition to being a glimmer of a ray, it also needs a lavush. It needs a garment, a veil, to cover up. Because without the veil, we cannot receive the glimmer. Without the concealment, without the hiding, without the veil, if the light would not go through the veil, then we couldn't receive this glimmer of the ray, of the Shekhinah, because it would be too intense. Just like the sun. The sun, we have to receive the light of the sun through a cover. The ozone layer. Otherwise the light of the sun would be too intense. We couldn't handle it. It would burn us up. 
we would cease to exist. In order for us to receive, to exist, and to receive the sun, where the sun gives us life and existence and nourishes us and nurtures us and helps in our existence, the sun has to be covered up. We can't get the sunlight directly. It has to be covered up. See, even the glimmer is not enough. The, the glimmer, even though it's just a glimmer of the ray, it's just a, 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 a glimmer of light, but even that's too intense. It has to be covered up. And only when it's covered up, then we can receive this glimmer. And then it nourishes us, it nurtures us, and then it's beneficial. But if there's no cover... We just burn us up. We just couldn't exist. So we need these, these two aspects. Firstly, it's only a glimmer of a ray. It's the glimmer of the Shekhinah. And the Shekhinah itself is just the ray of Hashem. It's His name, it's His manifestation, His revelation, His speech, His kingship. It's the most external, superficial part of Hashem. It's Hashem's light, His revelation. But even that's a sun in comparison to the energy that we do receive. Because that energy is too intense, too powerful, too concentrated. So we have to receive a ray from that, just a little, tiny, little ray from this Shekhinah, from Hashem's manifestation. And even that has to be covered up in a, in a, a levush, in a garment, in a veil. So too, since the Shekhinah is the source of vitality of the whole of creation, all of which receives but a ray of the Shekhinah, then if the Shekhinah itself, the actual source, would be manifest, all created beings would be nullified in that source. Their situation would be exactly similar to the sun's rays as they are found within the orb of the sun, where they are completely nullified. In order for the Shekhinah to dwell within the world and their creations, there must therefore be a garment which serves to conceal its light. Only then can creation receive the Shina and not be nullified out of existence? For what manner of garment can possibly conceal the Shina and yet itself not be affected by it, so that it too will not become nullified? Since the Shina is the source of all creation, it is, of course, the source of the concealing garment too. In other words, if the Shina is manifest in the garment, example, if the garment is enveloped by its source, then it follows that it should be nullified out of existence. He's giving a little introduction what is what follows. The question that's raised here is what garment could cover up and conceal the light, could contain the light and cover up in the light and act as a filter to to allow the light to go through without destroying, without nullifying existence. Because just like the light itself, when the light is within its source, it's completely nullified within the source. So the question is, when the Shekhinah, when God's revelation, when God's light engages and is enclosed in this garment, in this veil, then the veil should be nullified. How could the veil contain this light and pass the light through without itself being nullified? Just like we, the created beings, and the souls, and the angels, and the world cannot receive God's light directly, because had we have, if have we, had we received God's light directly, we would be completely swallowed up in our sores. So how could the garment receive God's light directly? What gives the garment, this veil, special ability to receive God's light directly and to condense it and to be able to filter and to pass through the light in a way that we can absorb and receive the glimmer of this light without being destroyed? Why? What gives the garment the special ability to be able to receive the light and to be able to condense the light without itself being nullified in its source. Just like we can't receive the light directly, if we, if, if we receive the light directly, we will be nullified. Why doesn't the garment and the veil become nullified? How could the garment and the veil contain this powerful energy without itself being completely nullified? 
And that's what Alter Rebbe explains. He's going to explain. It's because what is the garment? The garment is the Torah. Which is God's will and God's wisdom. Which is a greater source than even the Shekhinah itself. Because the Shekhinah, God's manifestation, is God's manifestation of His energy with which He creates and sustains the world. But the energy with which God creates and sustains the world comes from the external level of wisdom, of God's, of the divine wisdom. The Torah, however, comes from the internal level of divine wisdom. That's why the wisdom in Torah is not the same as math, science, physics, all the wisdoms of the world. The wisdoms of the world, the wisdom with which God creates the world, kulam b'chachma, sisa, God creates our world with wisdom. That's the external level of wisdom. But the wisdom with which the Torah, that's God's internal wisdom. External wisdom is you figure out how I'm going to, how I'm going to create this vessel or what I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to make this piece of art. It's all external. Then you have wisdom, your internal wisdom. Not in relation to anything outside of you, but internal wisdom. That's manifest in the Torah. So the Torah and mitzvot, which is God's wisdom and God's will, come from a much greater source, from the internal, God's inner will, and God's inner wisdom. So since they come from a much greater source than even the source of the Shekhinah, the source of God's light, the source of God's speech, therefore the Torah and the mitzvot have the ability to act as a veil. They could receive God's Shekhinah, God's manifest light, and then condense it, and screen, act as a screen and allow the light to filter through and to pass through to us on a level that we can absorb without being destroyed, without being nullified. So this answers the question, how could this vessel, this, ve- this veil, receive the Shekhinah without being nullified by this intense light? The answer is because the vessel, the, the vush, the veil, comes from a much greater source. And therefore it has the ability to receive receive this light it's like the uh, the parable the parable that contains the brilliant wisdom that's contained in the parable the parable comes from a very high source that's why the Torah is called a parable Mishal HaKadmoini its original source comes from HaKadmoini from the beginning what's before everything comes from the highest level, so to speak, within Hashem. Because who can give a parable? Only the biggest genius, most brilliant mind. The person who understands the concept can't give parables. He can't communicate to simple people. Einstein could communicate his brilliance to the simplest level. He can take this brilliance and put it in a parable, in simple language, in ways that even simple people can understand. So the marshal, the parable, the, the veil comes from a much deeper source than the revelation. The ability to hide and to concentrate and to conceal and to, comes from a much, much, much deeper place. So what is the lavush? What acts as the veil? This is the Torah and the mitzvah. This is God's will and wisdom. That acts as the veil to, to that receives the divine Shekhinah, God's revelation, the energy that God reveals to create the world, is first received in the Torah. That's why it says God looked into the Torah and He created the world. Because the energy with which God creates the world comes through the Torah. And it's when this energy, this manifestation, the Shekhinah, God's revelation, comes through the Torah, the Torah is able to absorb it, is able to receive it, and is able to filter it in a way that should nourish us and sustain us and create us and continue our existence without, without being nullified in God's presence. So the, Shekhin, the Torah, this is the powerful levush, this is the powerful veil, this is the powerful that, contain, that could contain the light without being nullified by the light because it's greater than the light. It comes from a much greater source. It's much higher, much deeper than the light and therefore it could contain it. And it could 
communicate it in a, very, in a level that we can absorb and we can receive. So without the Torah, the world cannot exist. Without the Torah, the world cannot exist for a moment. Creation begins with the Torah. Before God gave us the Torah, God created the world through the Torah. He spoke in the Torah and it came into being. Because the Torah is the, is the lavush, is the veil through which God's manifestation, God's shechina, which is God's manifestation, the energy which God creates the world, manifests in order to create the world, that this manifestation is able to contain, the Torah is able to contain this light and then to communicate it in a way that we can absorb it and receive it and be sustained by it and nourished by it and nurtured by it. So, I mean, it's fascinating because what he's explaining here is, firstly, the Torah explained earlier, just like the manifestation of, of, of the soul, the first manifestation of the soul where all of that energy is concentrated as a whole, together, as one. Who senses that? That's the brain. What's the brain? That's God's wisdom. That's the Torah. And then he says, and the Torah also acts as the veil through which God's Shekhinah is able to is able to filter, is able to receive it, absorb it, and then to pass it on in a way that it won't destroy us. So all of creation is tied up in the Torah. God's energy and God's creative energy and ability, all of this is in the Torah. The Torah is basically, essentially, the central point of the world. The Torah is the brains of the world. The Torah is the, God's brain. It's the brain of the world. And the Torah is also the, the, vest, the veil that absorbs the light and filters through the light and, and enables us, each individual entity, to receive our individual energy and ability. So the whole world is built on the Torah, based on the Torah. The Torah runs the world. I wonder why the Torah scholar is really in charge of the whole world. And with the power of the Torah, he has the power to run the whole world, and he's in charge of the world, and he can change the world. Because everything is connected to the Torah. Now, the question is, the question remains, if the garment, the veil, through which God's energy, God's shekhinah is manifest, comes from a greater source, a deeper source than the energy of the creation. It's the Torah, it's God's inner wisdom. The marshal, the parable, comes from Hakad Moini, comes from the beginning, the origin, the deepest source within Hashem. So if the world cannot receive the light of the Shekhinah, because it's too intense, it's too powerful, if God's revelation, this concentrated energy, is too powerful and too intense for us to receive, how can we receive the light when it's filtered through the Torah, when the Torah is the veil, if the Torah comes from a much deeper place? If we, if we said, if we would have received this intense light directly, we would, would have been nullified within this light, like light that's nullified within the sun, how much more so we should be nullified to this uh, veil, to the Torah, which comes from a much deeper place? How does the Torah allow us to exist as independent beings, as separated, as differentiated independent beings? And the answer is, because this is the Torah, the revealed part of the Torah. The Torah that's revealed, which comes in a garment, which comes in a hidden form. It's like a parable. It's hidden. And the truth is, everything in life is really a parable. The right way to look at this world and this is what, how, what the Torah changes us, how the Torah changes us, and the Torah affects us. What the Torah gives us is, it allows us to see how everything in this world is really just a parable for Hashem. Everything in life, every experience in life, business, relationship, everything, parent-child relationship, master-servant relationship, king-subject relationship, shepherd-animal shepherd relationship, Every relationship imaginable, every human experience, is really just a parable to help us understand Hashem, another aspect of Hashem. So what the Torah helps us see is the world is not an illusion, like the Eastern mystics claim. No, God forbid. Torah is real. 
God created the world. It says in the Torah, He created the world. He's creating the world through the Torah. This is very real. But the Torah, what the, the illusion is that the world is an independent existence. The world is just a reflection of Hashem. And everything in this world is just a reflection of Hashem. And everything in this world is just here to help us relate and understand a different aspect of Hashem. That's what the Torah does for us. The Torah opens our eyes and helps us see Hashem everywhere and everything without destroying us, without us being nullified. But as we go about our daily lives and as we live and operate and function in this frame of reference, in this framework that we live in, which is the physical, material, multiple world, in this world, in every aspect of our lives, in business, at home, every detail of our lives, we're able to see and connect with the Source, with Hashem. That's when you live a life of Torah. And the Torah reveals every, and illuminates every aspect of existence. There isn't a single detail of existence that's not covered by the Torah. There isn't a single human experience that's not covered by the Torah. The Torah doesn't illuminate and show us how to live and what it means and how this is a reflection of Hashem it's a parable so the Torah is helping us look at the world differently it's not an illusion but the way we see the world the way we perceive the world is an illusion as if it's an independent isolated separated existence the Torah reveals and uncovers no this is part of godliness it's a reflection of godliness and the Torah allows us to see Hashem within this frame, uh, framework. So without destroying the world, the world remains in its natural state, and yet it reveals how within, within nature every aspect of this world is really a reflection of Hashem. So this is why the Torah, this is why we're not nullified by the veil, even though the Torah comes from such a deep source. Because the Torah is parable. It's hidden, it's concealed. It's the revealed part of the Torah. But godliness is concealed. And since it's concealed, it allows us to exist. And we feel that we're in independent existence. And we're able to reveal Hashem. And able to draw down Hashem and to reveal Hashem in every aspect of our lives. And it becomes a Torah of life. A Torah that nourishes us. That nurtures us. Doesn't destroy us doesn't nullify us from existence, from the country. It helps us come alive. It helps us live and deepen our life. And lead a meaningful life, a Torah life, a spiritual life, a godly life. So that's what Alter Rebbe is going to explain now. The Alter Rebbe anticipates this question by stating that the garment is Hashem's will and wisdom which are enclosed in Torah and the Mitzvah. Since the garment belongs to a plane even higher than the source of the world's vitality known as the Shekinah, it is not nullified by it. However, asked the Rebbe Shlita, according to this explanation, the question becomes even stronger. If creation cannot receive the light of the Shekinah, then surely it cannot receive the light of the garment, which is even higher than, that, than the Shekinah. This, the Rebbe Shrita says, is answered by the Alter Rebbe when he says, only that it has descended by means of obscuring gradations. This means that since Hashem's will and wisdom are found in the Torah and the Mitzvah, descended in the gradations of the world, being able to clothe themselves even in material things, they therefore can serve as a garment to conceal the light of the Shekinah. So Hashem concealed Himself in the material things. So really, when you put on tefillin, and you light a Shabbat candle, and you give tzedakah, the mitzvah, the light is so intense, so powerful, we should, it should, we should be consumed by it, it should burn us up, it should nullify us. But Hashem enclosed Himself in the physical, tangible mitzvah, and therefore it's hidden, and therefore it doesn't have that effect on us. It doesn't, we don't, burn up and we don't become nullified it's hidden, it's concealed we draw down the Shekhinah we draw down Hashem but in a way that we can absorb in a way that it doesn't, doesn't destroy us 
doesn't nullify it. On the contrary, it gives us life. It sustains us. It continues our existence. Now understand why the garment itself is not nullified by the light of the Shekinah, as well as how created beings can receive this garment within themselves, for it is none other than Hashem's will and wisdom, which He enclosed in Torah and the Mitzvah, as shall be presently explained. These last three chapters, 51, 52, 53, are from the uh, <laughs> deepest chapters in Daniel. Very, very profound stuff. Um, he, he ends, he ends on a high note. He discusses Chabad. He ends up discussing Chabad, Torah, God's wisdom, the brain, which is receives God's Shechina, manifests God's Shechina. This is the holy of holies. This is the oil, as you're going to explain. This is the, this is what sustains. This is what nourishes. And this is so central to the Alter Rebbe, Chabad. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, learning, Torah, understanding. But what is this garment which is able to conceal and clothe it? The Shina yet will not itself be completely nullified within its light. This is his blessed will and wisdom, and so forth. And so forth, referring to the levels of the Bina and Dat, which are part of the intelligence, above as mentioned earlier, which are clothed in the Torah and its mitzvah that are revealed to us and our children. For the Torah issues from... Ila'a. Ila'a. The higher wisdom, supernal wisdom. Supernal wisdom, which is the level of the Shachma of Absolute. That is immeasurably higher than the world of manifestation, which is the Shina. As mentioned earlier, Shinak refers to the initial stage of revelation, for which reason it is called the world of manifestation. Since Hakmin Ilah is entirely beyond the pale of revelation, it is therefore immeasurably higher than the Shina. For he is wise with the wisdom of Hachma of Absolute, but not with the knowledgeable wisdom and so forth. And as has previously been, been explained, the infinite light of the blessed insult is clothed and united with supernal wisdom, and he and his wisdom are one. So this is not only the will of Hashem, but even his, his wisdom and understanding and knowledge as expressed in the Torah you have the will of the mitzvah, you desire the mitzvah, and then you have the explanation of the mitzvah, the wisdom behind the mitzvah, the understanding, the knowledge. So God and His will and His wisdom are one and inseparable. Although Hashem is undefined, Hashem is beyond wisdom. The ten svirot do not characterize God not like a human being. Where our Attributes characterize us. We are loving. We are kind. We are wise. <laughs> Hopefully. We are understanding. We are knowledgeable. Hashem is not characterized by the ten attributes. As the verse says, Ani Hashem Nisi. I Hashem have not changed. I remain unaffected. We are changed through our wisdom, through our emotions. We are wise. We are emotional, we are loving or kind or strict or intense, it characterizes us. So we are affected by it. Hashem is different. Hashem is not affected. Hashem is angry and Hashem loves and Hashem is wisdom, but He's not affected by it. I'm not affected by it because it doesn't characterize Hashem. Hashem remains unaffected. That's the difference between us and Hashem. That's why we can't relate to Hashem. Hashem is so beyond. Hashem is undefined. He remains undefined. By us, the ten attributes characterize us. They define us. We are wise, we are loving. Hashem remains undefined. Even when Hashem is wise, and Hashem is loving, and Hashem is compassionate, and Hashem is intense, Hashem remains undefined. It doesn't define Hashem. It doesn't characterize Hashem. Hashem remains unaffected. Hashem is infinite. You can't define it. 
But yet, in some mysterious way, in some mystical way, Hashem and His attributes are one and inseparable. So when you say that Hashem understands, it's Hashem, it's His infinite self. Hashem emanates from within Himself. Hashem has the ability to concentrate Himself and to emanate from within Himself wisdom. Not that He's defined by the wisdom, but as Hashem, in His infinite self, His infinite capacity, is so undefined or so unlimited that He also has the ability to express Himself through a limited way, through, through wisdom, through understanding, through knowledge, through love, compassion, strength, etc., so since Hashem and His wisdom are inseparable, so therefore, when you talk of the Torah, you speak of the Torah, the Torah is the wisdom of Hashem, Hashem and His wisdom are inseparable. So it's really Hashem Himself, His infinite self is found in the Torah. And therefore, since Hashem's infinite self is found in the Torah, therefore, He has the ability to receive, to contain this powerful light, to absorb the powerful light of God's Shechina, God's lowest level, His revealed self, the energy that creates the world when it's revealed. But it's revealed in all its intensity and all concentrated together and it's too intense for the world to receive and to absorb. But when it's revealed through the veil, the veil has the ability to receive this light without being nullified. And to transmit and to pass on the light in a way that we can we can absorb, that we can receive that glimmer of that ray, on a level that we can absorb without destroying us, without being nullified by it. So the reason why the Torah has the ability to act as a as a to to absorb the light without being nullified by the light is because the Torah is God's wisdom. It's the infinite. Represents the infinite which is much greater than God's revelation, which is the most external, superficial part of Hashem. It's like His name, it's the speech, it's a, it's a ray in comparison to the sun. While the Torah itself is like the sun itself. Therefore, it has the ability to absorb this light, to receive the light, to absorb the light, and to filter the light, and to transmit the light in a way that we can absorb, that we can handle. So the Torah itself is God's wisdom. And God and His wisdom are one. God is so undefined, He's so unlimited. He's not even limited to being infinite. (laughs) He has the ability to express Himself in a finite way. That's the Torah. That's God's wisdom. So therefore the Torah has the ability, the Torah reveals God's ability to give us a marshal, to, to create a world that's limited. And to reveal that the world is really just a parable. Everything in this world is just a parable. It's like a projection. You know, take a three-dimensional object and project it on a two-dimensional surface. Now, if you don't see the source, all you see is what you see. So you just see the flat surface. looks like a, a, a cartoon. But if you're able to connect it to its original source, you realize that this is just a parable. It's a projection of a three-dimensional reality. So the Torah helps us realize that everything in this world is just a projection. So yes, the way it manifests in this world, it's manifest in a very limited way in the the truth is, it's really a projection of something infinite. Everything in this world is a projection of something infinite. But we can't handle it because it's too infinite, it's too intense. So through the Torah, it comes out in a two-dimensional surface, two-dimensional way, so to speak, and we're able, that we're able to absorb. But the Torah helps us realize that everything in this world is just a projection of something infinite. So you take the mitzvah, you take a physical object and you do a mitzvah with it. You take money, the ultimate ego symbol, and you give tzedakah with it. And then you transform it into something holy. This physical object now becomes a projection of something infinite. 
You take leather hide of an animal, you put on tefillin. Now this leather hide has become a projection of something infinite. And that's the mission of a Jew, through Torah, to reconnect the world, reconnect it to its infinite source, Tashem, but without nullifying the world. The tefillin is tefillin, it's leather hide of an animal. It remains a leather hide of an animal, but it's holy. We project holiness. We connect it to Hashem. Now this physical object has now become a holy object. An infinite object. Connected with Hashem. And yet its fill and remains still. And the human being, the hand that puts on this fill and remains a human being. Operating on a very natural level. And yet this hand has now become a projection of Hashem's infinite self. This is the power of Tyre. That's why Torah could absorb the light and filter it through in a very subtle way, in a way that without destroying the world, without burning up the world, the world could receive this infinite light in a way that it could receive it. That's the power of Torah. That's why Torah was not given to angels. Because angels are all about being burnt up. We say in the prayer every morning, the angels are burnt up with fervor, with excitement, with intensity. The whole soul is singing to God. They're burnt up with ecstasy, with intensity, with passion. They're consumed by the love of Hashem. That's what angels do. They pray and they sing. But angels don't have Torah. Torah is not about burning up the world, being burnt up, being consumed. Torah is about very gently, very receiving, drawing down the infinite light. Reconnecting the world, realizing that everything in this world is just a projection of something infinite. And seeing it and uncovering it and revealing it in every aspect of the world. Every individual aspect of this world. So it's only with the Torah, the power of the Torah, that Hashem created the world. Hashem speaks and the world came into being, but He speaks in the Torah. Hashem looks into the Torah, the world was created through the Torah. Torah is not something that appeared at Mount Sinai in the year 2448. Torah is the blueprint of the whole reality. Hashem created the world initially through the Torah. Torah precedes the world. Torah is the mashal, mashal akadmaini. It's that parable. Because everything in this world is really just a parable. It's just there to implement an aspect of Torah, another aspect of Hashem's existence. It reveals another aspect, another dimension, another aspect of Hashem because Hashem is infinite and therefore there's such an infinite variety of creatures and created beings and worlds and realms and higher levels of consciousness and every one of them is just another aspect revealing the same infinite aspect of Hashem and that's the mission of a Jew through the Torah to reveal within all of creation. And that's why Torah deals with every aspect of creation. There isn't a single aspect of creation that's not covered by Torah. Torah is not religion. Torah doesn't just deal with religious things. Torah deals with business, how to tie your shoes in the morning, how to wake up, how to go to sleep, how to have relationships. There isn't a single aspect of existence that's not covered by Torah. What you should do, what you shouldn't do. What's positive, what's negative, what's neutral. Because the Torah is what reconnects and helps you realize. An animal in this world, what's an animal? It's just a projection of a certain aspect of Hashem, of higher realms, and ultimately of a certain aspect of Hashem. Everything in this world is just a parable, a projection. But it's just projected on a different plane. And that's why you have different worlds, different dimensions. You have a five-dimensional reality is projected on, the f- on a four, on a four-dimensional reality. So, the source is a five-dimensional reality and it's being projected on a different level. So, if you just take it at face value, you're missing the whole point. You know, like a, a hologram, right? A hologram is a projection. It's it's everything in this world is just a projection of something. And the Torah allows us to make that connection without being destroyed in the process. So the Torah is the veil. Without the Torah, we would all be nullified. We would all be burnt up. We would all be consumed. We would all be completely nullified. We couldn't receive the light direct. But the Torah allows us to receive 
to implement, to reveal, to reconnect, and without destroying. And that's the power of the Torah was given to a Jew in this world. Angels don't have this power. That's why they were mad. What? That's why they were upset. That's why they were upset. And that's the difference in all other religions and all other mysticisms. They tried to be like angels. But the, <laughs> the Jew has the Torah. We're light years ahead of that. That's pre-Mount Sinai. We have the Torah. The Torah gives us this, able to draw down the infinite in this world in a way that we can absorb it gently, receive it, reconnect. This is the power of the Torah. This is where God's energy is concentrated in the Torah. This is where God's energy is manifest. This is also the veil through which we can, the veil that absorbs this energy and then transmits it to us through the Torah and mitzvot because the Torah has been enclosed in a very physical way. The Torah is very physical in our daily lives, practical, our everyday lives. Mezuzah and the doorpost in your home, kosher in your kitchen, your pastrami sandwich, kosher, <laughs> very practical. <laughs> your lunch on a Wednesday afternoon, kosher. It's business, honestly, relationships, every aspect of life. And it allows us to absorb and to connect with the infinite. So the Torah is reality. The Torah is life. So you can't just look at Torah as a bunch of dry, cut and dry rules and laws. An axe that gores a cow. And then who's responsible, is not responsible, how much are you responsible? If you just take the Torah as cut and dry, the Torah has nothing to do with life. As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said, anyone who learns Shersh and and says that's all that the Torah means, a cow that gores and there's nothing more here, then he himself is the cow. (laughs) Torah is life. Torah is, is the infinite, it's Hashem. Torah is to teach you how to live. And Torah is that everything in the Torah, there's the surface, the veil, then there's the inner, the soul of the Torah. It makes it come alive. Torah is the crux. Torah is the command and control center of the whole universe, of our world, of everything, everything in our lives. You can't divorce Torah from life. A Torah that's divorced from life. A Torah that you bury your head in the sand. And you think the whole Torah is just a brilliant explanation and a brilliant legal discussion, and that's all it is. And at the end of the day, there's no, how do I personalize this? How do I internalize this? What does this teach me? How does this affect me? How is this going to change my life, change the world? No, Torah is just legal, sharp. Then you don't understand what the Torah is. Torah is the... This is the whole. This is the whole fountain of life. This is this is life. Everything in life is from the Torah. Every word, every letter in Torah contains the infinite wisdom of Hashem. And this is how Hashem manifests His energy to create the world. And this is the veil that receives the energy and filters it through to us, each one individually. Everything is Torah. God looked into the Torah and He created the world. It's the blueprint for all of life. How could you divorce Torah from life? And he ends these last three chapters, he ends the first part of the Tanya on this high note, the, the proper understanding of Torah and mitzvot. It's life. It's, it's, it's all-encompassing. It's, it's, it's a way of life. It's a, this is the crossroad for all of existence. This is, this is what enables existence. This is what gives existence. This is what nourishes existence. You can't live a Judaism with the Torah. Your observance is disconnected from life. You're just going through the motions or you're just doing rituals and customs. Torah is not rituals and customs. Torah is life itself. There's nothing without the Torah. Thus, Chachma, as well as the other levels of divine intelligence, such as Bina and Dat, are far superior to the level of the light of the Shekhinah. They are therefore able to serve as a garment concealing the Shekhinah without being nullified by its light. But how can divine intelligence serve as a garment? And how can created beings accept this garment when it is in fact loftier than the Shekhinah itself? The Rebbe now answers this question. Only this is because it, supernal wisdom and Torah, 
has descended by means of obscuring gradations from the higher grade to the lower grade with the descent of the worlds until it, the Torah has clothed itself in material things, namely the 613 commandments of the Torah. So because it encloses itself, the garment is enclosed in material, it's hidden in material things, that's why we're able to receive the light without being nullified. It doesn't nullify our existence, on the contrary, it nourishes us, sustains us, and continues to create us. I have a question. Sure. Why do you think that in, in God's infinite wisdom that he left a few, a few things to be finished by the band? Meaning? Why, 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 why didn't he just do the whole thing and but then he, some things were left with the rebellion to make the conclusions on, which is not which is not the supernal being. He left some things for men to for people to say like, like Hasidus, the revelation yeah yeah like the revelation of Hasidus, Mount Sinai, the revelation of the external part of the Torah was a transmission that came directly from Mount Sinai. Everything was given at Mount Sinai. But the, re- the revelation of Hasidus came about from the Jew, so to speak, from the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid. Of course, it was all a revelation. But the deepest parts of the Torah seemed to have been a revelation that came from within. It came from, from the Jew who received the essence of the Torah and, and they were able to reveal that. But this is a preparation for the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach will come, and that's why Mashiach will be permanent. Mount Sinai was a revelation that came from above, and that's why it didn't last. Forty days later, the Jewish people reverted back to the sin of the golden calf. So it lasted from Purim to Shushan Purim. It didn't last long. Versus Mashiach will be permanent. Why? Because Mashiach will come from within. It will be an inner transformation. We will receive and absorb. This will become who we are. And that's why the revelation of this part of the Torah, it's all Torah, it's all given at Mount Sinai, but the revelation of this part of the Torah, the essence of the Torah, Hasidus had to come, so to speak, from within, because this is the preparation, this is the Torah of Mashiach, when there will be an inner consciousness, an inner awareness, an inner... Something will shift inside. Something will change inside and will completely transform us. So it's not a revelation that's from above, that's beyond us, that's otherworldly. It becomes completely one with us. It becomes our nature. It becomes natural. And that's why this part of the Torah, which is the essence of the Torah, ironically is the most natural. The chassid is the most natural human being. He's funny loves to hear a story and tell a story, loves to sing, loves to dance, celebrates life. And he's the holiest and the most godly. And it's most natural. Because when you get to the essence of the Torah, this transforms you at the very core and essence. This is, reveals or uncovers your core and essence. It reveals that, that at the core and essence you are godly. And everything is God. And there is no other reality than God. So to be Jewish and to be godly is the most natural thing in the world. There's nothing otherworldly about it. On the contrary, not to be Jewish, not to act Jewish, is the most unnatural thing in the world. That's unnatural and otherworldly. <laughs> you're going outside of yourself. You're outside yourself and you're, you're opposing yourself. You're violently opposing yourself. That's the most unnatural thing in the world. And it takes an inordinate amount of energy to maintain this unnatural state of being. Redemption. That's the most natural thing in the world. It's coming home to your true core, your true essence. Revealing your core. Blowing away the dust and revealing your core and revealing your essence. That's the whole revelation of Hasidus. That's the whole revolution of Hasidus. It's the most natural thing in the world. To be Jewish, to be godly is the most natural thing in the world. Because up until the Baal Shem they understood that a human being essentially is a brute. But you act and you do your, you do your responsibility and you act in a certain way and then you'll merit the world to come. 
That's a gracious way of thinking. Comes along Hasidism and says, no. Your essence is God. The whole world is really is nothing. The whole substance of the world is God. There really is nothing else. So we check. It's the most natural thing in the world. And Torah is not just a job that we have. God gave us an assignment. I want you to do mitzvot. This is a job you have to do, a ritual, a custom. Torah is godly. Mitzvot are godly. And when a soul, a Jewish soul, studies Torah mitzvot, you got, it ignites something inside your soul. That's how you connect with God. The mitzvah is a connection. You're doing something godly, your soul is godly, you're doing something godly, and that connects you with Hashem. And you're transforming the world, revealing how the world, everything in the world has a godly spark, you're reconnecting it to its source. Suddenly, everything is, it, it takes on a whole different, it's a whole different picture, it's a whole different understanding. I'm not doing a job, a ritual. The mitzvah itself is godly. The studying of Torah itself, when you study Torah, you study the, the Talmud, you're studying godliness, you're studying something godly. Hashem's infinite wisdom. It's not just a brilliant piece of legalese. And I'm going to prove how sharp my brain is, how clever I am. It's godly. And you're nourishing and nurturing your godly neshama, and you're connecting with Hashem. And you're revealing Hashem in this world. Torah is the command and control center of the whole universe. You are running the world when you're studying Torah. And it's not even disguise. We, we act like it's disguise and we're uncovering something. It's the natural, it's the... But without Hasidus, you don't see it. Without Hasidus, it's all in <laughs> But this is, the, this is why Hasidus had to come from, so to speak, from the bottom up. It had to be revealed. This part of the Torah, the essence of the Torah, had to be revealed through the Rabbeim. The Baal Shem Tov and the Magid and the Alter Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe and the Samot Tzedek, the Rebbe Marash and the Rebbe Hashav and the previous Rebbe and our Rebbe. Through human beings. Because it has to, that's the whole foundation. So they are the true messengers. They yes. are the true... But now that we already have all the Rebbe's... <laughs> Now the Rebbe said it's up to us. Hashem left, left it in our capable hands. Let's just hope we live I'm up not to sure the. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at lessonsintanya.com.